Welcome to Salaf Report, your one-stop shop for discussion on small arms and light weapons from the Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asian regions. Each episode comes with a corresponding post on the website that will have the images and videos that we discuss here, so if you have time, make sure to give it a look. If you like what you hear, consider supporting us on Patreon to help fund things like this and other research in the region. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, to another Salah Report episode. In today's episode, we're joined by Mr. Yusuf Riazi. Mr. Yusuf Riazi is here to speak to us about Iranian small arms and Iranian prototype small arms weaponry, as well as the standard weaponry in uh, small arms weaponry in the Iranian army. As you all know, Iran has a long history in experimenting with various small arms uh, prototypes as well. They have a long history in various small arms they have used since the uh, the era of uh, of Persia before the uh, before the revolution in 1979, when they had a mixture of European and even Soviet small arms. In today's era, Iran is going through a lot of different uh, blueprints, so to say, imitating uh, certain uh, versions of European small arms, uh, Russian, uh, Eastern small arms, and even making their own style uh, combination hybrid. So, Mr. Riazi, thank you for uh, being with us today. And it's uh, our privilege having you with us, honestly. And uh, we would like to welcome you this last report and uh, the privilege is mine thank you please do tell us a bit about yourself and to our audience sure 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 so my name is Yusuf Riazi and uh, I'm from Iran and uh, I'm uh, I'm graduated I was graduated from the international relations but I have a very very interest in the small arms and since I was a teenager I started read uh, time to time I was translating articles to uh, to the language of Farsi from English about uh, different variants of small arms and so far I'm still active uh, and I am now currently like working with a couple of friends on the social media to uh, give the knowledge share the knowledge uh, about the small arms and as well as the other interest which I have is like the SOF units and yeah so far I'm I'm still active thank god everything thank is... god indeed yeah yeah now Yusuf before we get any further can you can you share the name of the, the telegram group that you guys like to post about um and share oh, sure, so sure, people sure. can check that out yes I'll do that right now so if they want to uh check out your group they can go in, in the article or they can probably just type this in right now um well can you spell it out uh through voice yes sir it's t-a-n-k-o-g-r-a-d uh, after we finish this, I will uh, copy the link from the Telegram and I will put it here. Cool, cool. All right, let's get, let's just dive right into this, man. Let's talk about um, the G3 in Iranian military service, especially as I would like for you to, you to talk about this and Adam to direct the discussion, um, talk about it from both the historical perspective, what we were just talking about before, but then also your own personal um experiences with the g3 when you enlisted 
um, well, when you were conscripted in the army, um, almost a decade ago at this point, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So the uh, first, uh, the first part that I need to like talk about about the G three, and how did they enter Iranian service? We should go back to the late sixties. Uh, Iran in that time was using the M one Garand semi automatic battle rifle at as as its uh, main service weapon and uh, as a plan that the shah regime was after which was uh, modernizing the armed forces they were looking for a specific uh, battle rifle a new a brand new battle rifle because uh, of the iranian geographic situation you know because it's a uh, major of the country is covered with fields and you know they have a big uh, area to cover so battle rifles were much more preferable than assault rifles so in that point iran had three choices uh fn uh, fn fall uh, g3 and m14 so uh, the, uh, when they wanted to finalize the decision, they had a choice of purchasing surplus M14s from the United States, and they could uh, purchase G3 and locally produce the weapon. So, because they were planning for producing and you know uh, transferring the technology the highest quality German technology in that time, they selected the G3. And in the early 70s, uh, samples were purchased by Shaw from West Germany in that time. And uh, they made a deal with Heckler & Koch to locally produce the weapon in the Iranian uh, arms factory, which is based in Tehran. In Farsi, we refer to it as Mosal Salsazi Artish, which means Army's Machine Gun Factory. Uh, from uh, 1972, 72-73 till 1978, 165,000 rifles were produced per, per year by the factory. So, literally by the end of like 1977, majority of the M1 Garands and rest of the small arms, which were in service with different branches of the Iranian army were replaced with the brand new G3s. So uh, this is how the G3 entered the service with the Iranian military. There is some interesting things about the receivers of the G3s which were produced prior to the Islamic Revolution. First thing is the serial number is con uh, consists of four digit serial number which is on the left side of the gun and on the right side you have the symbol of the Iranian uh, crown and the crescent with the lion which was like the symbol of the you know the imperial Iranian uh, government the selector switch of the g3s uh, were with the words uh, persian words z te re which z 
stands for uh, it's similar to the Ara Arabic words actually. Uh, Z is for safety, T is for semi-automatic, and R is for fully automatic. So Z is Zamen, which is safety. T is Taktir, which means semi-automatic. And R is Ragbar, which means fully automatic. Now, here's a question with yes. Te. Takti, what is the word again in Farsi? Tak, tir. Tak means one in Persian. Tir means shot. Tak or yek? Because yek is one, tak. right? It's tak. Te, ke, tak. Gotcha. Okay. But isn't yek? Yek is one. So what is tak? Tak, uh, in also in the Persian language, tak means one as well. So... You know, like this is uh, this word, as I told you, taktir means one shot, which is like referred to the semi-automatic semi fire mode. So um, I was talking about the receivers of the G3s which were produced in Iran. Uh, the interesting fact is in 1976, the Iranian government adopted the imperial calendar from the, the samples of G3s which were produced between 1976 till 1978. The year which is stamped under receivers are the imperial years. And these samples are 2,535, 2,536, and 2,537. These are the imperial years which were stamped on the Iranian samples which were produced in that time. And uh, the fascinating thing about these pieces are some of them are still in service with the Iranian army, even in, during the, like, the current uh, government that Iran has. And they didn't change anything on the uh, on the receivers. Even you still can't find uh, the symbols of the Iranian imperial government uh, on the gun, on the rifles, as well as uh, 7.62 ammunition. This is a very cool thing about these uh, G3s, which were produced in the country. And uh, yeah. After the, uh, like, also, I need to say that uh, after the, the Islamic revolution, uh, revolutionaries attacked uh, the, the factory which were producing these uh, rifles. They destroyed many documents. They destroyed many machinery. And literally for a period of two to, two to three years, the factory was closed. They couldn't... Uh, manage to reopen it again so they had this problem as well especially in the earliest days of iran iraq war which they uh, were uh, you know uh, getting more people into the fight against the invading iraqi army they needed more rifles so uh, they collected anything they had in their hand and uh, they managed to open the factory again and they started produce G3s uh, during the period of the Iran-Iraq war. What was, okay, 
do you, do we have sources on when that attack took place? What year and month? Um, the context of it, and for how many years, and what were those that date range that the factory was shut down because of that attack? Because that is a, extremely significant in the machine gun factory outside Tehran, right? This is an extremely significant event. Yes, uh, because you know uh, uh, these attacks happened uh, exactly like in the period of months after the revolution. Uh, succeed in Iran because there were there were no authority there to protect the factory. There were no soldiers. There were no security guards because everyone they uh, which they were employees of the uh, Shah regime in any part of the con uh, any part of the state. You know, like security army. Uh, in that time, we didn't have. Uh, uh, the current police system, you know, the law enforcement system. That time we had you know, gendarmerie, like similar to the system of the French French system, that police controls the cities and gendarmerie uh, controls the districts out of the city, you know. This was a system which we had in that time. People, they run away for, uh, for their lives because they were afraid to get killed by the revolutionists, so they left the place. And People, they went in and they took stuff from there, you know. They vandalized the place. They steal lots of stuff. Even, like, uh, guns. that we, com we had completed guns there. And lots of them, they ended up in the hands of the people. And some were, uh, they bought them back from the people. But some, they ended up in the black market. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Well, that was, that's. But what were the periods that the factory was shut down because of that? From like what late seventy nine until eighty one, eighty two. Like, do we have any specific idea? Uh, to due to the information I have, it was closed between ninety seventy eight to the early eighties. You know, because. Uh, in the first months that Iraq invaded Iran, they needed to gather up anything that they had in their, like the, you know, uh, they could use to arm and start production line of the weapons because they needed it, you know. Um, the, because of the mayhem which was caused by the revolution, still after three years that the revolution uh, succeed in Iran. The uh, the the new government was still dealing with uh, with with the chaos, which was caused by the revolution, and it took uh, months for them uh, in the earliest uh, in the early year of Iran Iraq War to restart the fac uh, factory and start to produce arms. You know, they not only they produced G threes, they produced Mark II hand grenades. They produced uh, RPG projectiles, uh, ammunition, mortars, and lots of other stuff, you know, uh, for the daily usage of the Iranian, uh, Iranian armed forces in the battlefield uh, against Iraq. Gotcha. Yeah, I, this, it's if, if that can be attributed to, you know, why the production didn't happen between 78 and the early 80s, you know, that, that's a key point into folks that are researching Iranian G3s as to, you know, 
well, what are the serial number, like, you know, if someone's trying to fill that missing link of like, where's the serial number range of the G3s produced in 1980 or 1981? And it's like, the answer is there were none produced in 1980 or 81. There were you know, none. And that's an important, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, yes. So please continue as we, as we abruptly cut you off. So, uh, during the period, uh, like during the period of 1980s till 1990s, uh, this they the Iranian army was using the same G3 that they purchased from the HK and they locally produced it, which uh, uh, is uh, like the same uh, platform which had the slim handguard, HK handguard, you know. And some samples were also equipped with uh, optics as well, you know. With the G3 hand-sold ZF model optic, which could uh, magnify like four times. And uh, also the scope was also produced in Iran as well, you know, in the Iranian optic factory in uh, the city of Shiraz. These optics were produced under license from the hand the German uh, optic company. And uh, yeah. We reached an early 1990s, or the 1990s is better to say. Uh, Iran started to, like, they were looking for an upgraded version of G3. They produced three different samples, which, interestingly, I don't know why, how they ended up producing such a piece. They produced bullpup uh, version of G3, you know? Actually, uh, one is the uh, the cut version. The other one is with the heavy barrel, accurized barrel, uh, which uh, in the third model that I will talk in a bit, they use that barrel as well. So yeah, they produced this uh, bullpup G3s as prototypes. They didn't end it up well in the testings, and they were completely like phased out in the earliest uh, testing days, you know? But the third model, which was uh, specifically designed for special operations, was a marksman version of the G3. So, you know, somehow they tried to develop something like the HK MSG-90 or let's say G3SG-1 which uh, is a marksman rifle uh, based on the platform of G3. And uh, they call it uh, G1, uh, under the designation of G1. And small numbers were issued to the 65th uh, Special Operations Group, NOHED. And some samples were also issued to the local police SWAT teams, which were they were using with the hand-sold uh, optic site, which I mentioned earlier. These are the three main variants of the G3, which were uh, produced and tested in the 1990s. They didn't do anything special on the G3s, and mm, let's say, Majority of the samples which are still in service, active service with the Iranian military, are the ones which were produced 
before the revolution and also another portion which were produced uh, in the late 80s and the early 90s currently g3 is not produced anymore and anything that they have is uh were like produced on the years that i recently uh mentioned and uh, another interesting thing is um I think it was a year ago, uh, Iranian army, they added a rail uh, on the G3 so they could uh, mount optic sights on the weapon, as well as on the slim handguard, they added uh, pins so the operator of the rifle could uh, attach flashlight to it, which was not something very interesting yeah the, the first time i fought I, I i shot a g3 as i said uh, i shot 20 rounds and my rifle jammed because of the low quality ammunition which we were using and uh, in that time you know i knew like how to reload my rifle i could reload it by just like pulling the uh charging handle or i could just do it in the way of uh you know as we know uh, as uh hk slap you know the g3 that i was issued that time to shoot on the wrench was produced in the year of 1977 which in the imperial calendar is 2536 and it was a g3 a3 model if we consider from the HK names, which in the Iranian service, by the name of the model, which is produced locally, it's called G3A6, which is the plastic model, a plastic uh, buttstock model, you know. And uh, later on, uh, during my training time, which I was uh, attending the training uh, procedure for the 35mm Orlikin cannon, uh, in the base that I was there, uh, we were issued with the G3A4, which is the, the collapsible buttstock version of G3, which is issued to the paratroopers, but some samples are, like, you can also find it in the normal infantry units, uh, like the Air Force or the Air Defense. This was the time like I was equipped with the G3, beloved G3, and we were using it. And uh, then you, uh, you ask about the nickname. Uh, there is an unofficial nickname that they gave G3, especially during the Iran-Iraq war. In Persian, they call it Tupedasti, which is like the hand cannon. This is literally what they call it, because uh, I think it's it's some kind of referring to the stopping power of the cartridges of like the seven six two in compare with the AKs which was used by Iraqi unit Iraqi army and as well as the IRGC. What the tupe dusty the hand tupe cannon? Dusty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, in the U.S., you call the Barrett, let's say, the Barrett M- M82, A3 you use in the Marines or the M107. You call that a hand cannon, not the G3. <laughs> That's funny. Do we have now this this nickname? Do, now this was in use when you was right. Um, do we exam- Can we examples or contextual finds of it? Uh, this is this is this uh, this is uh, some kind of let's say comes from the language of the people who served in the Iran Iraq War. It's not something officially you can find it somewhere. You know. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I realize that, but it's like, can we, like, can we interview, like, vets for these and say, like, what did you call your G3? And hey, my tupe dasti, you know? You, you know what I mean? Like, like just, just to sort of prove that this was the, actually used back then. Actually, I can look it up. And also, my father's uncle is an uh, Iran-Iraq war veteran. You know, he was... Uh, he was a tanker and he entered the Iranian army during the Shah regime. He was in the Imperial Guards, if I, uh, if you know them. They were the elite troops of the Iranian army. He was a tanker commander, actually, with a, a tank unit of the Chieftain tanks, the Chieftain Mark Vives. And he served uh, in the Iran-Iraq war. He was in the war for eight years, and multiple times he was injured. He's a vet- veteran of the war. I can ask him about it. Wow, that would be really cool. Luck- wow, that's, that's cool. So what else? What are, yeah. some other, what are some other things you remember about the G3 that you can share with us? It's just weird things that, you know, I don't know. The- How did people, you know, load it? How did... So, so the that we might not think of actually one of the things that lots of people especially people who are not uh, familiar with uh, the hk productions uh, products and how you can reload your g3 mp5 or ump with the hk slap which which we know uh, this was a weird thing you know like some of my uh, you know the cadets that uh, were with me in that time, they were asking me, dude, like, how you know about this? We didn't know, like, we can reload this rifle in such a way that, like, we could uh, pull the uh, the charging handle back. And whenever we changed the uh, magazine, we slapped it and the rifle was reloaded. I told them, like, this is the very better way and the fast way to reload your weapon and it's something cool uh, you know this was the first time that like someone was showing you know uh, some kind of uh, uh, shocked that someone knows uh, better to work with the rifle even though uh, he's it's the his first day that he's dealing with the uh, the rifle, you know, in the wrench. And uh, cool. What else do you have? What else do you have about that? Uh, I remember we were cleaning up our rifles, and uh, one of our friends, he, in the bolt section, he forgot to put one of the bolt parts. I don't remember exactly which part it was. And after we assembled our rifles, 
our superior officer came to check like we did it uh, in a in a uh, like uh, we did it good or not my rifle was intact everything worked perfect but uh, my friend because he he forget to put one of the bolt parts uh, he when he pulled the bolt uh, when he pulled the charging handle back uh, it didn't get stuck on it uh, on its uh, like the the part that it should uh, it should stick on you know it just was it was gone you know and I remember he slapped him back of his head and he told him dumb dumbass like what you have done imagine like you were in the middle of the war and <laughs> you had to shoot your rifle what would you what would you do you know you you had to throw your rifle like a stick at the enemy instead of shooting him. I remember this as well. That kid must have had a bad night. <laughs> was pr- like actually they they put him on the twelve hour post because of what he did. <laughs> he got post yeah. because of it. <laughs> wow, sounds yeah. like he deserved it, they, man. Can't can't disassemble your rifle, right? Come on. Yeah, and I remember, uh, you know, the place that I was stationed was. Uh, uh, it's better to say, I, I would tell you where exactly I was stationed. It was the one of the nuclear facilities of Iran that we were positioned in the Orlikan uh, firing team. And uh, around us was a farm, you know, we had long grass. And time to time, like uh, a couple of uh, yards away from us, there was a hut that a couple were living there and they were working on the field during the daytime. One night uh, I was on the post and uh, I heard noises, you know, I, I freaked out because the place is were also like known for bad people to hang out there, drug dealers and I don't know, uh, thugs and this kind of people. So, I put the magazine inside my rifle. I lo- loaded it up and I I was good to go. I was ready to shoot. Then I hear laughing, you know? And I put the spotlight on the spot that I hear the laugh and I saw two little kids that literally they sneak through the military installation for fun. I don't know what they were after. I shout three times at them. I uh, scared them off and thing went peacefully, you know, otherwise I would have killed them, you know? Yeah. You probably could have used the, the light that just came out on the, that Iran was showing on the G3 a couple, uh, what, what, a year or two ago, um, that you were just talking about. That was about eight years past your time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, the interesting thing I will t- tell you that the pictures you posted here on the G3, on the bot stock, the year uh, which I can see is uh, 1975, 1976, this sample was produced. Yeah, right before the uh, imperial calendar change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One year before the calendar change. Exactly. And also, I, I see uh, interesting grip, G3 grip on the RPG-7 launcher. So that that grip, there's a, um, 
a connection with that and with Burma in that the German ammunition producer and uh, export company Fritz Werner um, worked in both Iran and in Burma at the same time that these were implemented. And the assumption is that yeah. Fritz Werner um, supplied the technology or the idea to say, hey, look, if you're making a... Uh, if you're making an RPG and you also have G3 production set up, want, this is a way that you can incorporate the G3 grip that you already produce into the RPG production to way to um, exactly um, make the costs easier. Exactly. It's because also RPG-7 was produced in the same factory during the Shah regime that they were producing G3s. This is an interesting fact. They were producing, you know, both launcher and the optic the the original russian soviet optic uh, which was issued to the rpg7 in that factory you know miles I, I i also i will tell you some interesting things about the the weapons that you can find in iran we also had samples of uh, ingram submachine gun you know the mac 10 yeah 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 in what context uh Sawak was using Ingram Mac 10s in, in uh, they had it uh, in their inventory. And uh, they were using by the special agents in charge in those times, but there were very few samples. And uh, my friend told me they put some samples in the uh, small arms museum in the province of Kerman. He told me that they put there. Also, they had the suppressed version of it that comes with the psionics suppressor. Yeah, that's quite the it's quite the quite the um, unique item, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is exactly exactly. I see it. Which and I see it and I... Yeah, which museum was that again that you mentioned? Uh, it was. Uh, you mean that you're talking? Uh, you're asking about the Ingram. Yes. It was Mac Ten. Oh no! Which museum is it uh -huh. in today? The, the Small Arms Museum of Kerman. Sounds like we need to visit that. Yeah, it's in the province of Kerman, and they have lots of unique weaponry. You know, from 300, 400 years ago till the modern age. Ah, okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, does anybody have anything else? I think we're good to go here. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the end of our Slash Report podcast episode. But if you'd like to know more, read more, and listen to more, please do. Help us on Patreon, follow our newsletter, and definitely, definitely subscribe to our SoundCloud. And don't forget to check out Slash Report Shop. And for a short period of time, we have a 30% discount with the code TARIK, T-A-R-I-Q. So please don't forget to check the shop out and use it. Have fun.